Hey, good morning. We are in week four of our 10-week series called Rooted. And today we are going to look at the question, where is God in the midst of suffering? So buckle up and here we go. Have you ever known anybody who you just dread to ask the question, how are you? Because you know they're going to tell you. Now, don't get me wrong. If I ask you how you're doing, I want an honest answer. I would love to be able to share your burden in prayer and help you if that's something I'm capable of doing. But that's not what I'm talking about here. I mean those people who love to tell you about every sore, painful, scabby, nauseating thing that's going on with them. What medicine they're taking, how many doctors they're seeing, what doctor they want to see next. You get the idea. And if you find yourself seated by these people uh, during a meal, you better have a strong stomach. This type of person is normally what we would call a hypochondriac. You know, they're always looking for something new that's wrong with them. Their suffering is something they want to share with you. Then, of course, there is always the other extreme. Those people who want to keep everything private. They believe that others are totally disinterested in anything that's going on with them. So, you ask them the question, how are you? And you get the answer, fine. When they are anything but fine. Now, I, I know that probably most of the people who ask that question, how are you, are looking for that one word answer, fine, good, okay. But there are some people who want an honest answer. There are some people who want to share your burden. There are some people who really do desire to help. But these folks don't want to share their suffering. And most of us are in the middle of those two extremes. We can easily navigate those who are asking the question as a greeting and those who are genuinely interested in what's going on in our lives and then give the appropriate answer. Our suffering is something that we share with a very select group of family and friends. But the truth of the matter is, is that we all suffer in some way. There are those so-called pastors who continually preach a health and wealth type of doctrine. In other words, if, if you have enough faith, you won't get sick. Cancer, diabetes, multiple sclerosis, and other such diseases happen because you just don't really have enough faith. And the same goes for your finances. With enough faith, you can be wealthy because God wants you to be happy. And if you truly want to prove that point, I'm sure that you can find some scripture to back it up. But that means that you have to ignore the scripture that says otherwise. And there is plenty of scripture that says otherwise. David was a man after God's own heart. And the Psalms are filled with David crying out to God for his suffering and an equal amount of his praise and thankfulness. In Psalm 57, David both cries out to God to save him from those who are pursuing him, but he also gives his total reliance on God and the confidence that God has it all under control. In the book of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were totally devoted to God. 
But they, along with everyone else in the kingdom, were given orders that whenever you heard the musical introduction, you were to bow down and worship the golden idol that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. Now these guys weren't just any yahoos in the kingdom. They were a select few Israelites who were chosen, groomed, and educated by the king's staff. Then they were giving power over some of the kingdom. These guys, not, give, not bowing, not obeying the king's orders, this was a big deal. And then you also had the old guard who didn't like them very much in the first place. And they observed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not obeying the king's orders. And man, they ran right to the king. I'm pretty sure that this is the, where the term whining started. So these three Israelites are brought before the king and were given the opportunity to obey. And if they didn't, they would be thrown into a furnace. But while the conductor is warming up the orchestra, this is what goes on. Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 14. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Now, in my opinion, it's over with already. Because Nebuchadnezzar just challenged God. You don't challenge God. Do you know why the Titanic sunk? Because the headlines read, God himself cannot sink this ship. You don't challenge God. Well, in verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Wow, that's bold. Now, just to lay some of the groundwork here, the king has already had experience with Daniel, uh, another Hebrew, and he knew who these men worshipped. In the king's understanding, why can't they worship their God and his too? After all, that wasn't a new concept. Serving multiple gods, little g, was an easy thing. But with our God, big G, there is no dual citizenship. You are either his and only his, or you are not his at all. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were his. And they were willing to suffer anything they had to to prove it. In the Bible, we have a whole book about suffering. It's a book called Job. Let's look at Job chapter 1, verse 1. See where this leads us. In the land of Uz there lived a man whose name was Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and shunned evil. 
He had seven sons and three daughters, and he owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 donkeys, and had a large number of servants. He was the greatest man among all the people of the East. So here you have a man who loved God, and God blessed him for it. God was proud of Job. And one day, God says to Satan the words that you and I would just love to hear God say about us, but hate the outcome that Job experienced. Have you considered my servant Job? And then the father starts telling Satan why he's so proud of Job. And this is what Satan says in return. Job 1, starting in verse 9. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And this is what happens starting in verse 13. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the donkeys were grazing nearby, and the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house it collapsed on them and they are dead and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you at this Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head then he fell to the ground and screamed at God no that's not what it says does it it says, then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. May the name of the Lord, or the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. In a single hour, every bit of Job's wealth was taken from him. His servants murdered, his sons and daughters dead. This man was suffering. 
And instead of crying out to God in anger, he bowed down in worship. And let me tell you, Satan was not happy. This was not the outcome he was looking for. He wanted to see Job turn on God. And in Job chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. Skin for skin, Satan replied. A man will give all he has for his own life. But now stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well. He is in your hands, but you must spare his life. And in verse 7 it says, So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and afflicted Job with painful sores from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. Then Job took a piece of broken pottery and scraped himself with it as he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, Are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. He replied, You are talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? In all this, Job did not sin in what he said. So Job is suffering. And then you, you have these three friends who stop by and, and they see what's happened to Job and they all sit around the fire and they are trying to get Job to admit to wrongdoing because obviously Job did something to make God mad. And they go through this long laborious argument about what Job had done to deserve this. And after being hammered on by these guys for so long, Job looks to God and demands an answer. Now, before I go on, I want to share a personal story. My daughter spent many years trying to get pregnant. She finally went to a fertility clinic, and after spending over $25,000 and three tries at getting pregnant, she was still left with nothing. I was there for the third time, and I watched her collapse with grief, and I was mad. I was mad at God, and I started telling him in my prayers just how mad I was, and the Spirit reminded me of these verses. Job 38, 1 through 5. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. He reminds Job for the next two chapters just who he is. And in chapter 40, starting in verse 1, it says, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? 
let him who accuses God answer him then another two chapters of who God is and we get Job's reply in chapter 42 verse 1 then Job replied to the Lord I know that you can do all things no purpose of yours can be thwarted you asked who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge surely I spoke of things I did not understand things too wonderful for me to know you said listen now and I will speak I will question you and you will shall answer me my ears had heard of you but now my eyes have seen you therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes God turned things around for Job he was blessed with twice as many possessions and God let those three so-called friends know how wrong they were he had seven more sons and three more daughters not that you can replace a lost son or daughter but God came through for Job God also came through for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He was there with them in the fire, and even their clothes did not smell burned. God came through for David. He replaced Saul as king of Israel and is regarded as the best king in their history. But in Hebrews chapter 11, it talks of many who did not get to see God's deliverance. They did not get to see what their suffering was for or what the ultimate outcome was. For them, it was just a matter of trust, of obedience, of faith. Suffering comes in many forms. There is, of course, physical suffering, injury, disease, a multitude of differing ailments that can plague our bodies. Some we bring on ourselves and others are afflicted upon us. Aging alone can bring on pain and suffering that you didn't see coming. There are so many emotional forms of suffering, I would be hard-pressed to mention even half. Clinical suffering like depression. I've already spoken of women who so desperately want to have a baby. And then they see women who terminate an unwanted pregnancy and it just compounds their suffering. Men and women who are in an unloving marriage or are losing a loving spouse. People who feel unwanted because of a multitude of reasons. People who feel unjustly accused or those who are being justly punished are suffering. And what about people who feel shunned by a church that should only be loving them? Yes, the church can inflict suffering a lot more than what we would like to admit for some of our suffering we can assign a reason some of my ailments are due to choices I made earlier in life jobs that I held hobbies I had that's why I hurt now some suffer due to addictions and there are many different kinds of addictions but we can see why we suffer and assign a reason God gives us free will after all. Some of our suffering comes from those who also have that free will, that gift of God, and they have used that gift to make you suffer emotionally or even physically. And once again, we can assign a reason to our suffering. 
even with aging there are certain things that just come with it and we start to lose people we love we are designed to be perishable so in that too we can assign a reason what about the suffering that we can't assign a reason for what do you do with that not being able to have a baby what is the reason for that or a child becoming sick or even dying what do you do with that for the last three years my, my staff my worship team and my community group have been praying for the grandson of uh, Mark and Lori Draper and uh, Dave and Kathy Tyner Dave is one of my bass players and Kathy works in the office so this has been forefront in our mind his name is Sawyer and he was diagnosed with cancer at the age of two I asked Sawyer's mom Alicia to write down some of what she and her family has gone through the last few years and here is most of it this is Sawyer's story accept what is let go of what was and have faith in what will be I found this saying a few days after Sawyer was diagnosed with cancer on March 21st 2018 after weeks of worrying and multiple tests I found myself in a hospital bed holding Sawyer and listening to the doctor explain that my two-year-old son had B-cell acute lymphoblastic lymphoblastic leukemia it's a mouthful I can't begin to explain the feelings of that day even now as I write this my heart starts to beat a little faster and it feels hard to breathe the next morning I woke with a feeling of calmness in the midst of our storm I knew we would have so much love and support from family and friends and I knew God was in control what I did not know was what the future would hold and how much suffering we would endure Sawyer's treatment plan was a three-year plan with six different phases within these phases were steroids chemotherapies spinal taps x-rays x-rays ultrasounds bone marrow biopsies and so many medications it was rough on his little body he had to learn how to stand up and walk again he dealt with all the side effects that come with chemo but if it wasn't for his bald head you wouldn't have known he was fighting cancer when we finally reached the last phase he was doing so well and our lives felt somewhat normal Sawyer was halfway through his three-year treatment plan when the rug was pulled out from under our feet November of 2019 right before Thanksgiving Sawyer started a fever and his counts were off this caused us to head to Riley where we, they did a bone marrow biopsy to confirm that Sawyer's cancer had returned. Our family was devastated. When Sawyer was first diagnosed, we were told the percentage of relapse was low. And honestly, it never crossed my mind. Sawyer was doing so well that I never saw it coming. I knew that this wasn't going to be good and the treatment for relapse was going to be intense. 
The past year and a half before Sawyer's relapse had been difficult on our family, but everything had gone smoothly without any complications for Sawyer until he relapsed. Before his relapse, I had been such a positive thinker. I knew God was going to heal him and that he was with us through this journey. When two other families in our community found out that their sons had leukemia, my heart broke for them. I had a moment when I realized that God gave me this amazing opportunity to be there for these two moms. God had been preparing me by giving me strength and the knowledge I would need to help these moms face the fight of a lifetime. My feelings during this relapse were very different than when Sawyer was first diagnosed. When the doctor said the cancer had returned, I was instantly angry. I was angry with God. How could this happen? Why does my child have to endure all of this pain? I cried out to God, asking him why. Once within seconds of each other, two close teacher friends texted me. I felt God say, I am here and I love you. These two friends took time out of their Christmas Eve to text me at just the right time. God did that. I decided that my anger towards God wasn't helping me take care of Sawyer and be the mom he needed me to be. I was told Sawyer would need a bone marrow transplant in order to keep his body from continuing to produce cancer cells. They tested Nolan. Nolan is his older brother. They tested Nolan, Brian, and I first before checking the donor bank. Nolan Nolan came back, not a match. Brian and I were 50%. Doctors checked the donor bank and there were no matches for Sawyer. The doctors finally agreed to send a test to Remy and Landry, Sawyer's first cousins. A couple of weeks later, we got the results that Remy was a half match. It was an incredible feeling, but now we had to ask Remy, a 10-year-old, to go through a painful procedure in order to save his cousin's life. He agreed and was very excited that was God God wasn't done yet we found out later after Remy had multiple tests done in preparation to harvest his bone marrow that he ended up being almost an 80% match the doctor said he had never seen something like this and this was excellent for Sawyer at the beginning of April, Remy went through into surgery and they harvested his bone marrow and froze it till it was time for Sawyer's transplant. There were still plenty of setbacks and some steps forward before Sawyer was ready for transplant. We were told Sawyer had a 50% chance of surviving his transplant. I was an emotional wreck the day before Sawyer would go to Riley. I couldn't imagine losing my child but I knew he wasn't mine to keep. I went into my closet and I cried out to God. I wanted them to heal Sawyer. I wasn't ready to let him go. I also prayed that he would give me strength for whatever laid ahead. I often think of my motto, accept what is, let go of what was, and have faith in what will be. Even through your sufferings, blessings will grow. We just have to be willing to see them. Just for your information, 
Sawyer is doing well. He's not out of the woods yet, though, so he can still use your prayers. In our study, uh, in Rooted on uh, day two of our week, the Bible, it says, the Bible talks more about God comforting his people in times of pain than rescuing his people or changing their circumstances. Can we read that again? The Bible talks more about God comforting his people in times of pain than rescuing his people or changing their circumstances. Here's just some of those scriptures. Isaiah 41.10 so do not fear for I am with you do not be dismayed for I am your God I will strengthen you and help you I will uphold you with my righteous right hand Matthew eleven twenty eight. come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest Psalm 143 3 he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds Isaiah 54:10 Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken nor my covenant of peace be removed says the Lord who has compassion on you and in 1 Peter 5:6 and 7 it says humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time and we read that again. That he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Suffering isn't supposed to be enjoyable, but it is useful. It builds us, it prepares us, it makes us more compassionate and gives us empathy towards others. In my experience, the most important thing that suffering accomplishes is it brings me to my knees. I realize just how inadequate I am. I must rely on God. Romans 5, starting in verse 2, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then in James 1, 2 and 4, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking in anything my wife is an example in suffering she's gone through breast cancer she has MS Reynolds disease, trigeminal neuralgia, also known as the suicide disease. There are days she can hardly walk, let alone get up the stairs to go to bed. She gives herself shots three times a week, which can make her feel like she has the flu the next day. That's three times a week. You know what I've never heard from her mouth? Why me? 
I've never heard her express anger towards towards God. Only thankfulness for seeing her through it. She's amazing. She would tell you God is amazing. In my personal life, I've given God many suggestions on how he could handle the suffering in my life. How he could simply remove it. Even remove someone who's causing it. And personally, I think they're all great ideas. He never seems to take my advice, however. But I can look back and I can see how and where his workings have brought me. And because of that past experience, I know with everything that's in me, I know that I can trust him in future endeavors as well. I'll probably still offer my advice. But I'll also add, your will be done. In Matthew 26, starting in verse 37, we have Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, suffering. It says, he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. He was suffering. He was suffering emotionally. And at this point, men swoop in and they take him away and they make sure that emotional suffering isn't the only thing he has to go through. He has to go through physical suffering as well. He has to be slapped and punched and scourged and whipped 39 times with a cat of nine tails that actually ripped the flesh off of his body. Then he had a crown of thorns put on his head and marched out and nails put in his hands and feet. Our God is no stranger to suffering. And we remember what he's done for us 